there's a story I like to tell about the three words that changed my life. They happened during a conversation with Brian DeLottenville, our guest on today's episode. Brian is the founder of Benevity, and at the time that this story took place, he was also the CEO. Brian has since stepped aside from that position, but more on that in just a second. The conversation that I had with Brian on that day six years ago was about how different I felt compared to the company culture at Benevity. As a woman of color in a leadership position at a tech company, some of the ways in which I was unlike my male white peers at the time were obvious. And yet, diversity and inclusion are about so much more than what's on the surface. After all, I was born and raised in Canada, attended post-secondary here, and have spent my entire professional career here. But what has always made being in tech difficult for me, and what came out in my conversation with Brian, wasn't my gender or race. It was the fact that I was a passionate, heart-led, empathy-oozing, extroverted person full of feelings and ideas. By contrast, most of the people on the management team were more of the introverted, analytical, thinking ilk, whose empathy wasn't worn on their sleeves, but was surely there. We couldn't seem more different. And it was hard. Hard on me and hard on them. But that's when, after sitting with this dilemma for a while, Brian said the three words that changed everything for me. Keep being different. I can't adequately express what that was like to hear from a white male CEO. For the first time in my career, I felt like the things that made me different were acceptable, even encouraged at work. It was profoundly humanizing and deepened my trust and confidence in expressing my true self in the workplace. And it launched me into the next phase of my career, where my place of work also became the place where I get to express my purpose every day. Today, years and years, and many, many more conversations later, Brian and I are sitting down for another chat. This time, it isn't about my feelings. Instead, we're reflecting on the origin story of Benevity, the movement for purpose-driven business, and how companies, the most trusted institution in the world, are being presented with the greatest opportunity to be a force for good in the world. That's today on Speaking of Purpose. Before we move on, let's close the loop on Brian's role at Benevity. Earlier this year, after 13 years in the seat, Brian decided to step aside as CEO and named Kelly Schmidt as his successor. Kelly, formerly Benevity's chief financial officer and president, is another person who doesn't fit the traditional mold of a tech leader. But once again, Brian was committed to her. Frankly, she's been thriving in the role for more than six months and is an absolute superstar in, in all the ways that a company like Benevity needs her to be. She has uh, deep experience in, in, in business acumen around SaaS, software as a service businesses. She's extremely strong operationally and in many ways that I <laughs> was not. Um, a great mentor and really authentic manager and leader of people and and is as passionate about our social mission as she is about our, our for-profit uh, pursuits. So in short, wildly more qualified than me to take the company where it needs to go. So 
why I chose her was the easy part. Um, and you perhaps know better than I about the disproportionate representation of, of white males in, in leadership positions. And fortunately, this is a podcast, so people can't see my stale white maleness, but it, it is a fact. Um, and and it's, it's also a fact that to enable Benevity to grow and invest in its software and people over the years, we've enjoyed the support of a number of investors. Um, most notably some large private equity firms. So they and their institutional investors typically plunk, you know, billions of dollars into businesses all over the world and quite sensibly want a say in the decisions around operations and governance. So the challenge is the well-known circular one. If, if one does a search and seeks comfort around experience, uh, been there, done that, and, and conventional CEO credentials, um, you invariably have an easier time finding and being comfortable with older white males who have sat in the seat before and led companies and, and their investors to su successful outcomes. So that is who most of the search firms will source and who make for the easiest hire decision, uh, hiring decisions. As institutional investors embrace the concepts around ESG in, in more than lip service ways and diversity and inclusion belonging continue to be um, moving in the, in the directions that they are, this will continue to change. But the reality is for most companies that are hiring diverse candidates as CEOs and, and other senior leadership positions, the majority will be first timers in the seat. And their boards and investors need to make an effort to avoid defaulting to the tried and true. So like many things corporations and people have to do these days, changing the status quo mindset takes a bit of courage. Uh, when HG Capital purchased the majority of, of the company in January, Kelly was presented as my succession plan and they have embraced it and her completely from the get-go. And one of the reasons we chose them as our partner was a perception that their support of stakeholder capitalism and ESG, the social mission of, of, of Benevity was part of the DNA of, of the firm and it has been borne out in, in all of our dealings with them. It obviously helps that she's doing an awesome job, but I, <laughs> I knew that she would. Um, HG has told me that it has been one of the most successful CEO transitions they've ever been involved with. Our people love Kelly and the world-class management team that we've assembled. And while it should not be as noteworthy, perhaps, as it is, 75% of our exec team are women. And uh, having been raised by a single mom, I'm, I'm quietly proud of that. After handing the reins to Kelly, Brian became Benevity's executive chairperson. In his new role, he's continuing to bring his pioneering vision to the social impact space, ensuring that Benevity continues to constructively disrupt the status quo so we can achieve our moonshot to be a part of the larger movement of business as a force for good. But let's start today by going back to the very beginning. I asked Brian about the inspiration that led to the beginning of Benevity. People ask me this question frequently, and in many ways, I, my journey represents the vast majority of people that are discovering of the power and opportunity and perhaps even the imperative of pursuing a more purpose-driven life. Um, I don't come from much. I was, uh, as I mentioned, raised by a single mom and, and we were poor enough and, and um, 
I was decent enough at school that I got some grants and subsidies and was able to go to business school and then on to law school. And, and I've been really fortunate in my professional career and grateful to live in a country where education could be such an emancipator and had always wanted to pay some of that forward in some fashion. Um, and despite some of the polarization and binary thinking I, I, that, that's prevalent today, I, I truly believe that most people want to leave the world better than they found it, as, as trite as that may sound, and, and I'm no different. So I remember a conversation with my then five-year-old daughter being something of a catalyst for me actually taking some action uh, in pursuit of, of, of that goal. I had just prepared my signature tortellini and carrots dish for her, and she, she, she was uh, chomping away and looked up and asked in this angelic, chirpy little voice, Daddy, what is it you do? And uh, I think it was for some kind of kindergarten project she was doing at school, but the simplicity of the question and my, my unease at the answer was, was telling, and, and perhaps in hindsight, a, a bit transformative. I had been a corporate finance lawyer at a big uh, Bay Street law firm, but had left and taken senior operational roles at a couple of growth stage companies. Both had resulted in successful exits, as they say in the biz. So the first thing that popped into my head as an answer was, I fix up companies and sell them for much as, as much as I can, honey. Um, I didn't say that and gave her a more sanitized answer that I think included being sort of a lawyer. Uh, but the conversation with my little darling catalyzed the next phase of my career and eventually resulted in the, in the founding of Benevity. Inspiration can come from the most unsuspecting and the cutest places. For Brian, it struck at the dinner table with his daughter. But the spark from that conversation shone a light on an idea that Brian had been thinking about for quite some time. In his previous life as a lawyer and an operational executive, Brian couldn't shake the feeling that he had more to give the world. In his post-legal career, Brian was drawn to disruptive companies that approached old problems with new, innovative solutions. One such company was in the social impact space, tying spending to charitable giving. While the company didn't pan out, it exposed Brian to statistics around giving and philanthropy that altered his worldview and led to the idea that is Benevity. This was 2007 or so, and at the time there was 300 billion of charitable donations being made in North America, and less than 5% of those were being done online. A ton of technological lag relative to online banking, online trading, online everything. I imagined how much money was being chewed up in manual processing that could be going to the social issues that people were investing in. More notably, though, of that then $300 billion, which is now more like $450 billion, less than 5% of that amount was coming from corporations. And that number had been relatively flat for a couple of decades, despite the evolution of CSR, shared value, triple bottom line reporting, etc. My, my thesis was that most companies were pursuing a handout mentality around these things rather than an investment opportunity mindset. And that if we could better integrate business impact and social impact, companies would invest more and drive more and better social outcomes. Easy peasy. Um, and and the, the primary business metric I thought we could uh, most impact related to engagement. I, I knew from pre previous roles that Employee engagement was generally low at most companies and that something like 70% of employees were not engaged in their roles and that even worse, 25% of those were actively disengaged. 
costing their employers something like $550 billion annually in churn costs and, and, and lack of productivity. There was similarly compelling data relating to consumer behavior and the potential role of doing good in increasing loyalty and purchasing behavior, et cetera. So Benevity was conceived to enable companies to weave choice-driven and, and user-centric giving back functionality into their online interactions so that doing well by doing good could be more than just a catchy tagline. Um, and it turns out that wasn't such a bad idea. Not so bad at all. By bringing giving into the modern online world and putting it into the context of corporate social responsibility, Brian saw the foundation of two key elements that would be critical to the success of Benevity. First, it would democratize giving by making it easier and more accessible to everyone instead of just the people at the top or those in power. And second, it would inspire genuine engagement by bringing people together based on their passions to form collective movements through the companies they work for and the brands that they buy. Using these building blocks as a starting point, it was time to start designing what would become Benevity's initial concept. So there were three key drivers for the formation of the front-end conception of the Benevity platform. First, I'd, I'd had a bit of lived experience that led to a desire to disrupt how companies and and industry players were approaching these things. My, my previous gig had been being the adult supervision at an, an early stage company called iStock Photo, which we had sold to Getty Images. At iStock, um, which is one of the first multi-sided platform businesses in the world before they were everywhere, I got to see the power of user-generated content, crowdsourcing, building community, democratization, and ultimately network effect. So I, I very much wanted to replicate some of those elements to somehow catalyze the concept of seven or eight billion armies of one uh, and do so in a way that helped businesses as well as drove um, driving social impact. Second, I'd had a bit of exposure to charity aggregator run fundraising programs at companies. And while I perceived that they were very effective at fundraising and, and sort of hitting a number, the tactics and approaches that were successful for that purpose were not necessarily leading to passionate, proactive, and sustained investment in social impact initiatives that were leading to a more purpose-driven, engaged em employees and consumers as much as they were in creating dutiful, obligatory participation. They were also very top-down in orientation with, with companies and executives trying in a well-intentioned way to sort of foist their intentions and choices upon their people rather than a truly democratized approach that sought to discern and, del and deliver personal resonance and a sense of efficacy that would deliver both social and, and business impact. So I, I wanted our ethos and guiding principles to be about engagement, not fundraising, and hoped to change that mindset within companies as they pursued their programs. We thought that if we could combine the vertical investment strategy that had prevailed in the corporate environment with a horizontal one as well, we could really create cultural impact and ultimately better use the power of corporations to help solve some of the world's pressing social issues. From the very early days, Benevity has focused on being a platform for companies to engage their people and communities in acts of goodness, whether it's through donations, volunteerism, or learning and taking action. At first, 
This was largely for practical reasons. Larger corporations have the network and resources to reach more people and more causes more easily. Over time, Brian's focus on companies has proved prescient. The Edelman Trust Barometer, an annual global report on public trust of major institutions, has reported for the past few years that business is the most trusted institution over nonprofits, the government, and the media. In 2021, Edelman reported that business is the only institution seen as both competent and ethical. And 68% of survey respondents agreed that CEOs should step in when the government doesn't solve societal problems. So it's an understatement to say that business has a big role to play. And as Brian notes, it reinforces Benevity's commitment to a B2B model. Well, very early on, I decided, rightly or wrongly, that in order to create the cultural impact and ubiquity that we were seeking, the path for Benevity was not going to be building out a B2C sort of destination site model. Um, that is extremely difficult uh, these days. It was difficult in, in 2008 as well. And so part of the reason we were and continue to be focused on corporations is that they are a sophisticated and well-resourced gateway to getting access to aggregated groups of people, um, employees being one, but the customers of those companies being a, a much larger uh, population. And so one way or the other, you can probably get at every human being through a company. And so our focus has, has always been on trying to enable them to engage their employees and increasingly their customers around social impact initiatives in ways that are active and authentic and, and in a more than lip service or advertising-based model. Um, it so happens that it is a little bit easier to do that in employee programs where there was some history of doing that, but we're seeing with the increased expectations of consumers and the data around uh, ESG and the outperformance of, of companies that embrace those principles, we are seeing much more interest in public-facing, consumer-facing engagement around some of those same issues in similar ways that are tried and true in the employee um, engagement arena. At the same time, you know, you know, companies are realizing that they are, you know, if you look at the survey data from Edelman now, it's this will be the third or fourth year, perhaps, where people's employer was their most trusted institution. And, uh, yet, you know, that creates both an opportunity and an imperative for companies to deliver on those expectations, be a source of trusted information, and help their people with the increasingly integrated notion of their personal and professional lives uh, having purpose. Business is clearly seen as the beacon of hope and the key to societal trust and progress. But are there any risks in this model? Certainly, no one institution can do it alone. But as Brian says, there may be more risk in businesses sitting on the sidelines. Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, as I get 
older, I try to sort of turn that frown around and uh, really look at the cup being half full. And, and so I think there are more risks in companies not pursuing these um, initiatives and being recognizing their role as trusted driver, then there are risks in them doing so. Uh, for, for one thing, uh, their biggest risk currently uh, that they have is not doing it because they will be behind their, their more progressive peers in terms of attracting, retaining, and engaging millennials and, and Generation uh, Z employees who will be the the vast bulk of the workforce before too long if they are not already. Uh, secondly, the data that's being accumulated on the performance of companies who have generally invested in things relating to ESG, corporate purpose, uh, employee engagement and, and consumer engagement around social impact initiatives are wildly outperforming companies that any, any risk of them being the most trusted driver. At the same time, one of the risks is that, you know, companies will pursue what has historically been their default, which is kind of a top-down advertising-based model around these things, as opposed to an authentic, democratized, user-centric perspective. And it's an and, not an or. You know, companies can be both strategic about their own sense of purpose, but also seek to connect with values and principles and, and sense of purpose of their customers and employees in an inclusive way. As the role of business in serving the planet and people has grown alongside governments and nonprofits, a new corporate designation was established, Certified B Corporations, or B Corps. The idea of a B Corp is to formally recognize businesses who uphold the highest standards of social and environmental performance, transparency, and accountability in the balance of purpose and profit. Only a couple of years after Benevity launched, we became one of the early adopters of the B Corp designation in 2011. It was a statement of Brian's vision that Benevity should be a leader in driving corporate purpose, but also that all companies should aspire to the goals, if not necessarily the official recognition, of being a B Corp. Years later, Brian still sees value in becoming a B Corp, but has conflicting feelings about the designation overall. B Corps is, is an interesting one for me. People often ask what I think about B Corps, whether they should become a B Corp. I'm hopeful that the designation will disappear at some point in the not terribly distant future because I think all companies should basically be B Corps, which is pursuing hybrid goals of profit and purpose and having equal sort of resonance for those pursuits. And, and we're seeing progress in that regard as corporate purpose evolves. At the time, part of the choice to be a B Corp was some of my perceptions, at least about what the nonprofit sector struggled with, um, I hoped to try and address through a slightly different structure. And so on the one hand, I, I think there is a prevalence or, or that the nonprofit sector suffers a, a little bit from the well-intentioned but misguided notion that if the work 
is somehow noble or in pursuit of social impact, it should somehow be free. Um, people who work at nonprofits aren't necessarily expected to earn the same wage as a for-profit person. Their organizations aren't supposed to spend money on SG&A the way others do. When money is given by way of grant, it's often very focused on what it can be used for. Um, and, and some of the, the, the reasons for that are, are good. But there, there is this notion that if it's a for-profit pursuit, then making investments in people and technology and some of the things that uh, obviously the nonprofit sector needs to do as well are somehow um, more easily rationalized. At, you know, so, so some of that was part of the reason I chose the B Corp designation. We wanted to be clear that in order to pursue profit and purpose successfully, mindsets needed to change and both of these things needed to have equal value. As Brian says, part of that dual goal of purpose and profit comes with the recognition that there is a cost associated with giving. And, unfortunately, it perpetuates some antithetical behaviors that hold back the nonprofit sector. Another sort of myth, perhaps, that uh, we have tried directly and indirectly to address is this notion that a hundred percent of the funds must go to the to the charity, and you know that is at the consumer level and even at the corporate level that is um, still a very popular message and and a popular goal. and And I sort of get it, uh, but uh, on the other hand, it it sort of contributes to that notion that these organizations shouldn't or aren't spending money on fundraising, aren't spending money to, to, to get a dollar. I mean, I think the data shows that most charities are spending at least 25 cents um, to get every dollar that they, that they receive. And so 100% of the funds are, are, are never really going to the charity. And obviously the software solutions that they use to make donations are charging uh, transaction fees and and uh, many of the large uh, charity aggregators like you know, the United Way and Global Giving and others, um, their revenue model is based on taking a portion of the proceeds of the donations to fund the organizations and and that is that is actually okay. Uh, you know we we cannot invest in solving these complex social issues with a purely handout mentality. Uh, you know, history has proven that it, it doesn't work. We have been investing this way for many, many, many years. And I think it's not, um, it wasn't until we started to get social entrepreneurs that were combining purpose and, and for-profit or at least revenue-oriented perspectives to try and, and gain some of the things that are required. So in our space, traction, scale, automation, critical mass, um, they are extremely important to try and deliver on some of the ecosystem goals for digital transformation and, and, and scale efficiencies and things like that. And so just as credit card platforms have grown into a very efficient ecosystem where the transaction fees that were once in double digits are now down below, for the most part, 3%. Um, so too should donation processing be 
efficient and scaled and and cost effective and and so some of these things i i think we have helped change some mindsets others it's still a work in progress but you know this idea of bringing uh b corp um and for-profit purpose-driven organizations is obviously not only effective in our space but but becoming prevalent um, in the private sector generally or in the corporate sector generally For Brian, it was a deep human desire that led to the creation of Benevity, that we all want to leave the world a better place than we found it. Whether you're a business, a nonprofit, government, or media, goodness isn't limited to one institution or one corporate designation. It's something we can all work towards to advance society. In the dual pursuit of profit and purpose, business has the opportunity to address the most pressing issue of our time, the polarization and paralysis that prevents real action from being taken. Over the past 13 years, Benevity has grown from an idea that began as a dinnertime conversation to a global company that helps drive tangible, authentic action for some of the world's most purpose-driven brands. With $8 billion in donations, 43 million volunteer hours, over 500,000 positive actions completed, and 1.2 million grants worth $12 billion, we still feel like Benevity has just scratched the surface of what's possible. We need to be 3x, 5x, 10x um, the size and quality that 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 we are right now so we need to continue to get bigger to get better to be something of a a hub that we can start to create the network effect that is capable of being achieved when you combine uh thousands of the world's best companies with tens if not hundreds of millions of their employees and consumers with two or three million nonprofits that are uh, trying to help solve some of the complex uh, social issues facing our, our planet. So the, the opportunity that flows from scale and traction and, and quality in this space is really significant, and we need to continue to move toward that, that plan. Uh, the idea of infusing a culture of goodness into the world sounds a little fluffy to some, but yet, you know, when you look around and see what we are capable of doing when we actually pursue collective impact and collective action, you know, it's hard to argue that uh, a company like Benevity isn't the right thing to be doing. Speaking of Purpose is presented by Benevity, a technology and engagement platform that helps the world's most iconic brands bring their purpose to life, based in Calgary, Canada. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope it provides you with a spark of inspiration to find your purpose and your way of leaving the world better than you found it.
Today's episode was created by the passionate team here at Benevity. Special thanks to Brian DeLottenville, our founder and executive chairperson. Check the show notes for more information on some of the topics we discussed today. And if you think Benevity sounds like a pretty great place to work, why don't you join us? Go to benevity.com careers to see our current job openings. This is the final episode of season one of Speaking of Purpose. Thanks for joining us on this journey. And we hope you'll join us for season two in just a little while. In the meantime, to listen to past episodes and get new episodes as soon as they're released, subscribe or follow Speaking of Purpose wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked today's episode, please consider sharing it. Until next time, keep being different. Thank you.